Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at belief? Hey there, everybody. This is episode five of the Lovable Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to our ongoing conversation about how to embrace our worthiness, find belonging, and live into our purpose. Just a couple quick notes before we get started. If you want to join the conversation, we're recording these podcast episodes every Wednesday morning at nine o'clock central time. That's Chicago time on Facebook Live. And you can go to my Facebook page, which is Dr. Kelly Flanagan, to tune in. We might skip a week here and there, uh, but if you want to be kept up to date about that, you can make sure you're subscribed to my weekly newsletter, which comes out every Wednesday morning as well. You can go to drkellyflanagan.com, that's drkellyflanagan.com, to subscribe in the right sidebar uh, to that weekly newsletter. It's a great way to get a bunch of good free stuff, including a, a free sample of my book, Lovable, a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down. Uh, notifications about these podcast episodes, alerts about sales on Lovable, and so on and so forth. So go there, get signed up. We'd love to have you join us. Speaking of Lovable, if this is the first time you're hearing about it, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. You can also go to Amazon uh, to read what people are saying about it. There, I think there's more than 230 reviews up right now, so you can check those out. Uh, there's also about 50 reviews on Goodreads. Um, and it's available in paperback, digital, and audio wherever books are sold, so you can pick up a copy and have an even better sense of what we're doing here with this podcast. Now, speaking of this podcast, let's get into it. Uh, This is the next installment of Lovable's companion book, which is called The Year of Listening, Loving, and Living. I had so much fun recording this episode. The content is challenging, uh, but the dialogue is super encouraging. Thanks for listening. Hello, Facebook Live. Uh, Welcome to the fifth episode of the Lovable Podcast in week four of the year of listening, loving, and living. This week's chapter is entitled Self-Acceptance is the Foundation of All Self-Improvement. We're going to talk about the very counterintuitive idea that trying to fix ourselves often undermines the very healing that we're hoping for, um, and that in contrast, accepting ourselves can lead to real and lasting change. Then we're going to discuss a practice for this week that I think is just as counterintuitive, but one that I think could be a real game changer for many of us. Uh, But before we do any of that, I just want to check in with those of you who are live here with me on Facebook about last week's practice. Um, So last week we talked about trying to create more space in our lives for presence and rest and the inward journey that we all need to take if we're going to truly embrace our worthiness. I suggested unsubscribing from email lists, disconnecting from social media, trying to use your technology as if it were 1999, um, bowing out of some activities that you participate in because of a sense of duty rather than a sense of calling. Uh, and so I'm curious to hear what your experiences with these practices were. So it's so funny. I, uh, 
Oh man, it's a it, so this is what our this is our fifth episode recording this, and we've been doing Facebook Live sessions since um, I think really since February of this year, pretty consistently, almost weekly. Um, and I got to the point where I felt really comfortable sort of moderating the Facebook Live sessions when they were about blog posts. And then, uh, and then I had a little bit of sort of nervousness return at the idea of doing it for a podcast, but it sort of was okay um, or, or over the course of a couple, um, a couple sessions. And then this week, for some reason, woke up and the anxiety about doing this was back. <laughs> um, and I sort of feel that now as we wait for people to come. So isn't it, isn't it weird how that comes and goes for no, no apparent reason? And we don't know why that is sometimes. Um, so anyways, I always find it helpful to acknowledge it and say it rather than um, pretend that it's not there. Deb writes, yeah, that's so encouraging that you struggle with that too. A good reminder to put those feelings into words and acknowledge them. Yeah, I, you know, there's like, there's, there's two levels of, um, for me, there's two levels of sort of social anxiety, right? Um, the first, the first is, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm nervous about this. Will I be good enough? What will people think of me? So on and so forth, right? Um, and then there's the additional layer of, oh no, can they tell <laughs> that I'm nervous? Can they tell that I don't feel totally confident today? Um, and it feels like being able to just say, just state that for some reason that little shame whisper has crept back in today, um, that can at least remove the second layer. I don't have to hide that I'm not feeling totally confident today. I just can say it um, and you know, sort of observe that that shame whisper and not try to let it just fester in hiding. So um, that's what that's what's helpful to me. Um, I if I if I'm feeling that at the beginning of a talk that I give, I'll sort of acknowledge that. Um, when my daughter and I were on the Today Show, she was clearly nervous about going out on stage, and anybody who's seen that video knows that. We started it off. Um, I had asked her, you know, backstage, like, would it help you, like, have more fun if we made a silly face when we went out on national television? And she said, yeah. And so we, we went out, and they offered to do that for us, and then it didn't happen because uh, she didn't want to do it by that point. But um, yeah, I think it's just helpful to acknowledge it. So thank you for that affirmation that it's worth acknowledging. Nancy writes, I'm so loving, lovable. Oh, thank you, Nancy. Last week, I purchased three hard copies and a Kindle version for friends. I'm spreading your good work. They're loving, lovable, too. Thanks, Dr. Kelly. Thank you, Nancy, for that. I really appreciate that. Um, on days where your confidence isn't quite there, right, um, that sort of encouragement is uh, all the more appreciated. So thank you, Nancy. And thanks for sharing with your friends. I'm, I'm honored by that. Dika writes, hey, Dika here. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Dika. We missed you last week. Glad to have you back. Deb writes, yep, you're amongst friends who will be here. Be the first to say, to say me too. Yeah. And Heather says you don't look nervous. All right. Well, at least I don't look it. <laughs> and I feel it less so now that we're we're chatting. So much of it's anticipation, I think. Um, but when I'm nervous like that, um, usually it means I'm, I'm wanting things to be perfect. And so we're going to try to not be perfect today. We're just going to go with the flow and have some fun and, and talk about what we've been doing here and talk about how to move forward into the next week. So let's do that today. Summer writes, uh, when I'm nervous, it's because I often want things to be perfect. <laughs> yes, uh, that is my experience too, Summer. Um, and I appreciate that. I think um, yeah, for some reason woke up with a bit of perfectionism going on in me today. Um, and, uh, boy, it, it's, uh, 
someone asked me recently, so you never get over the shame thing. You never get over all the fallout from it. You're, you're constantly sort of having to work through it over the course of a lifetime. Why? Why can't you just get, get through it? Um, and my answer was we redeem, we redeem the ever-presence of shame um, because it, it requires us to, to return to what we knew to, know to be true about ourselves. It requires us uh, to embrace ourselves once again. It requires us to listen for that voice inside of us once again. So you wake up on a morning like this where the perfectionism is, is stronger, probably because you have some self-doubt, and it forces you to have to remember all over again that you're enough. So, um, so that is, in, I guess, a sense what I'm practicing as we go through this today, and uh, it's something that we want to... Um, we all want to practice as we head through this year of listening, loving, and living. So, uh, Summer, thanks for that that encouragement. So while you're thinking, I'll, I'll share an experience I had. Um, it was last Friday night. Uh, it was after a busy day. Son had just finished his soccer season, got home. My wife and I had a few quiet moments to sort of sit at the kitchen counter um, and, and collect ourselves. And I found myself... Um, sort of grabbing my phone over and over again, just just mindlessly sort of grabbing it, checking for notifications or whatever. Um, so I, I turned the phone all the way off, slid it to off, um, and, uh, and noticed that even though I had done that, I still habitually continued to check for my phone. So to me, that like, sort of perfectly captured this uh, the, the spirit of last week's practice, which was to become aware of the things that our mind is constantly pinging, referencing, um, looking for the next dopamine hit, the next reassurance that we're not alone, the next um, little bit of pleasure or entertainment, that our mind's constantly doing that. Um, and if we can begin to declutter um, our minds from that effort, from that compulsion, um, now we have a greater chance uh, of being still enough to take an inward journey. Um, and so it was, a, it was a moment of awareness for me of how much I'm in that habit again of sort of referencing my phone. It happens to me after I've been traveling and I've needed to use my phone um, to be in communication with lots of people, um, but I'm needing to get back into a place of, of putting that down, putting it away, um, and, uh, and disconnecting my mind from it. So we talked about a number of different practices um, and uh, that, that might involve uh, decluttering your life from the mind, things that your mind is constantly referencing. Uh, so I'd be curious to hear if anyone had any reactions to those practices or came up with anything new or anything like that. With regard to the practices, Heather writes, I turned off the news, got rid of at least 50 email subscriptions, donated a bunch of my stuff to people in need. More to go. Wow, that is awesome. You didn't pick one, you, you went with several. Um, turned off the news. 50 email subscriptions. Truly, I told you last week when we were recording that I had already unsubscribed from 50. I bet I unsubscribed from 50 more. It was startling to realize how many people had gotten into my inbox. Um, and as a metaphor, right? Um, how many people get into our mental space that we don't realize are in there and, uh, and that we need to kick out. So, um, so Heather, good job doing that. Um, and I love the idea of just decluttering your physical space as well, which we touched on a little bit in recent weeks, but decluttering your physical space um, through acts of charity. Um, uh, gosh, it just reminds me of something that my 10-year-old my said this week that was just so touching. He goes, I want to be rich so I can give it away, Daddy. <laughs> and uh, I love that because uh, not only, Heather, are you decluttering your space, um, but you're decluttering your soul. Uh, generosity, 
charity. Um, these, these things create a sort of spaciousness in our soul, a lack of attachment um, that gives us freedom. So what a beautiful way to declutter your space. Um, thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing it. Hey, Kevin. Kevin writes, it's so hard to keep those voices at bay, and it's honorable to hear others confess the powers of those voices that are within us. Check that phone is such a strong impulse. You are definitely not alone in wrestling with the voices, I can tell you that. Um, it is a, an, an ongoing struggle, I think, for all of us. Um, and we go through periods where it sort of subsides, and those are wonderful periods. Um, but when those voices return, challenging us, challenging our sense of worthiness again, um, those are the periods where we really grow, where we have to learn more about our worthiness and to come to trust it even more. So, um, so yeah, so let's embrace those those challenges as opportunities to learn. Deb writes, Ha, I missed last week's podcast because I was at a camp with my son's school and had limited access to the interwebs at all. It was refreshing, recharging, and a huge reset. Oh, that's very good. So Deb, you actually um, were practicing our, our practice without realizing it. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm increasingly grateful for those spaces in the world where there's just no, there's no opportunity right, to connect. Um, we have a little state park just outside of our town where uh, phone reception is very poor. And actually, I think this will be the first year in five years that I haven't taken a retreat there in the fall, just two days, um, where you're forced to essentially disconnect uh, because there's no way to connect. Um, such a cleansing experience. Um, so Deb, I'm glad that you had that. Kevin writes, in response to what my son said about giving his money away, Kevin writes, reminds me of when my son said, I want to be Jesus' best friend. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, and, uh, and you know what? Uh, the thing that I love about Jesus is he already is. <laughs> he already is Jesus' best friend. Jesus has a lot of them. Currently about 7 billion, I think. All right, yeah, so Kevin says, you know, his son didn't say, I want Jesus to be my best friend, but the reverse. Amazing what comes out from the mouth of babes. Truly, uh, Kevin, that, that um, you know, I actually had a, a an old friend reach out to me on Facebook this week and say that they were studying lovable. Um, and that one of the discussion questions at the end of chapter seven that their group was going to kind of chew on was when Jesus says, I think it's in Matthew, um, that we must become like little children again because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Was he saying that we need to get back to our true self, to that little one that we were before shame started to cause us to doubt that we were enough and that we were worthy. Um, and my response was, absolutely. I, I am no, I'm no biblical scholar, but I sure like to think that's what Jesus was talking about. And you're kind of getting at it here with your son, right? We say that out of the mouths of babes. There's a sort of wisdom that arises from not being disconnected from your sense of worthiness yet. Um, and not can disconnected from your soul, not disconnected from your true self. And so um, I think kids have so much to teach us uh, about where we're needing to get to or, or get back to. Uh, and that is sort of the premise of lovable. So I love that your son said that and um, sort of awed you again uh, with his wisdom. I think this is a good point to transition into this week's reading. Uh, before I read week four, I want to take a moment again to situate it within the broader context of what we're doing here. Uh, in these first few months of the year of listening, loving, and living, we're sort of pressing pause on many of our outward activities and we're cultivating the ability to move inward. Uh, in other words, instead of searching for our worthiness in things outside of us, we're gonna search for it in the only place it can actually be found, which is inside of us. 
So today we're gonna focus on pressing pause on something that looks an awful lot like part of an inward journey, but can actually become a huge distraction from it. So let's get into reading and then we'll discuss it some more. Week four, self-acceptance is the foundation of all self-improvement. On a Saturday afternoon, my daughter is wailing. She's screaming like her life is at stake. Her life is not at stake, she's just tired, but she won't stop crying. And it's sucking the life right out of me. Like a Dementor's kiss, I'm being drained of every last ounce of happiness. Yes, I just compared my daughter to a Dementor. Have I mentioned it's not easy to be related to a writer? Only days earlier, I had published a blog post about parenthood and our calling to be inspired parents who are inspiring our children. So on a Saturday afternoon, as I think about running away from our home and never coming back, I say to myself, Kelly, you need to go reread your own words. You need a little inspiration. But that thought is stopped dead in its tracks by another thought. I have no interest in, ability to be, inspired right now. I couldn't read that article right now if my life was at stake. As my daughter falls to pieces, I wonder if I'm falling to pieces. After all, I usually love to be inspired, and we need to be inspired. We need to be given a vision of higher ground, and we need to believe it's possible to stand there. We need Martin Luther King Jr. giving his I Have a Dream speech. We need Ronald Reagan telling Mr. Gorbachev to tear down that wall. We need a YouTube montage of windshield video recordings capturing small, lovely acts of kindness. We need the moments that remind us life can be redemptive and it's all headed somewhere and beauty is always just around the corner. But I also wonder if we started to use inspiration like a tall cup of coffee. I wonder if, in a culture addicted to self-improvement and epic stories, in a culture of viral YouTube inspiration and pithy memes, we drink down inspiration like caffeine, using it to propel us into some kind of glorious new place, into a more perfected vi version of ourselves. And I wonder if, in doing so, we unknowingly participate in a culture of self-rejection. What if our obsession with self-improvement is really a cleverly disguised form of self-rejection? Perhaps when we feel uninspired and stuck, what we are really feeling is, I'm stuck with who I am right now, and who I am right now is not good enough. Not good enough. The slogan of shame working its way quietly into even our well-intended efforts to better ourselves. Perhaps when our sense of worth becomes contingent upon moments of inspiration and constant self-improvement, we need not worry about other people rejecting us, because we're already doing it to ourselves. Feeling uninspired and unimproved is a normal part of our good, ordinary lives and an essential part of our humanity. Yet we take the uninspired moments that make up the bulk of our days and we experience them like a final, condemning judgment of who we are. So I hold my wailing daughter, and I recall a recent conversation. Kelly, I love your writing, but I haven't read a post in a while. Why, I asked. Because your writing is inspirational, and I just can't find it in me to be inspired right now. I hold my wailing daughter, and those words deliver me. Not because they improve me, but because they return me to myself. They return me to the moment. Those words are grace. They give me permission to feel uninspired. They give me permission to be who I am, a tired dad at the end of his rope. And ironically, when I embrace who I am, the despair is diminished. I don't need to fix myself. I don't need to transform my daughter's tears into laughter. I don't need to find a deeper meaning in the agonizing moment. In fact, I don't need to do anything at all, which leaves me free to simply be. 
It leaves me free to be an uninspired dad with a hopelessly crabby daughter. It leaves me free to hold her and to hug her and to be with her exactly the way we are in this moment and then the next one and then the next one. And so I hold my little girl as she cries. I just sit in the mess with her and I feel completely uninspired. I sit there wiped out by life and I quit wondering what to do next and I simply dedicate myself to being this. The modern dictionary definition of inspire is to produce or arouse a feeling. However, in its archaic usage, it meant to breathe life into. Maybe sometimes the calling of our lives is not to feel inspired. Maybe sometimes it's okay to feel purposeless, to not be headed anywhere epic or grand, to not be constantly fixing and improving ourselves. Maybe sometimes it's okay to simply breathe alive into the moment. This week, let's just be who we are. Let's be uninspired. Let's quit trying to run from ourselves through self-improvement. Let's simply settle into the current version of ourselves and let's pause our search for an upgrade. Let's just breathe and let's find a moment in which that is enough. Let's find a moment in which we know we are blessedly good enough, precisely the way we are. So that is the reading for this week. Um, And uh, it is a theme that I feel like as a therapist, for instance, I am constantly having to shine light on, um, challenge, address in the therapeutic process because essential to the therapeutic process is, is accepting where we are. That's how change begins. Um, but if we come in and we say, I can't accept who we are, I need to fix it. If we come into the therapeutic process that way, it actually undermines the therapeutic process. It has to begin with self-acceptance. Um, otherwise, we are stuck in self-rejection, sort of disguised as trying to get better. <laughs> and that's sort of a paradox, and it's, it's complicated and complex, but I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the idea um, or anything else that, that comes to mind in relation to this post. Kevin writes, Permission to be uninspired. Permission to preach a lackluster sermon. Permission to be not the best dad or husband in the, in the world, but rather simply authentic. Absolutely, Kevin. Um, and uh, I think uh, I think that's what I think that's what people are hungry for. Um, even even from a, a pastor up giving a sermon, I think people are hungry for authenticity um, more than inspiration, um, because ultimately authenticity is an inspiration of its own that can be sustained. <laughs> um, but but inspiration. Uh, the way that we tend to think of it these days can be exhausting in the long run. We need, we sort of get addicted to it and we need more and more of it. Uh, and so we have to go back for more and more uh, from whatever the source of that inspiration is. But authenticity is, is a sort of inspiration that keeps on giving in a very sustainable, peaceful way. So um, I would I would second that and encourage you to, to continue to be heading in that direction. Corey Lee, Corey, uh, welcome, writes, Uh, I and we are perfect, whole. We are all perfect, whole, and complete, just the way we are, and warts and all. (laughs) Yeah, that's that, Corey. You're getting at the the again one of the core themes in Lovable and of this week, which is when we start to burrow down inside of ourselves. We get our false self that we show the world. We start to burrow down inside of that, and we come across all sorts of warts and all, (laughs) all sorts of junk. and so we stop burrowing. We stop the inward journey at that point. We go, yep, doesn't look good in here. 
Uh, I'm going to go back to that outward journey. I'm going to go back to that false self. It's a little more comfortable. But if we can continue to be faithful in that inward journey and burrow down through the warts and all, we discover a wholeness and a completeness um, that we didn't know was there. Uh, and, uh, and that is our true self. Uh, and so, yes, um, I think both of those things can be true. There's a wholeness and a completeness to us. We have warts and all sorts of other mess that we make of things, um, but both can be true at once. So thank you for saying that. Dika writes, wow, I guess you didn't intend to inspire me to be okay with being uninspired, but you just did. Thank you as always. Um, you're welcome, Dika. Uh, so I feel like there's two kinds of inspiration. There's the inspiration that sort of gets you fired up and says, I can do another day and I'm going to go for it. We're going to, I'm going to win today. Um, and there's the inspiration that says you don't have to win today. Um, you don't have to be a different person by the end of the day. Um, some version of yourself that you think will be more acceptable to the world. Um, there's a kind of inspiration that says you get to be who you are and that's enough. And actually the feeling that comes along with that, I was reminded this several times this week uh, by different people, including my own experience. The feeling that comes along with that kind of inspiration is often a deep sense of fatigue. Um, you sort of, it's like, it's like putting down the cup of coffee and just letting yourself experience the fatigue of all the work to try to improve and to fix yourself and to become somebody different. And you sort of feel the fatigue of all those outward journeys and you start to rest into it. Sometimes there's a sadness that comes with it, um, but uh, it's a rich sadness. It's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a life-giving sadness, even as you're settling into to the fatigue um, and beginning to contemplate actually resting from all of that that overwork, um, mentally and physically and so on. So um, I hope that the inspiration for you, Dika, is one that inspires you to rest uh, and to rest into you and to know that you're okay right now the way you are. You don't need to go out and accomplish or do anything else to be okay. Summer, Summer writes, self-rejection, self-help as possibly self-rejection, new thought for me, powerful. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad that that one resonates with you, Summer. Um, it's, uh, you know, we, we are in a, we're in a culture of self-help. I'm aware that I am part of that culture. <laughs> um, it's a particularly fine line to walk. Um, but, and I was going to share this a little bit later today, but I'll share it now. Um, this idea that self-help can be a form of self-rejection uh, came out of an experience for me. This was a number of years ago, maybe eight years or so ago, when I was making a new. I remember I was on the bike at the gym, and I was making a New Year's resolution. Uh, and I was thinking about kind of what I wanted my resolutions to be for the year, and I realized that one of them was I, I wanted to quit reading. Um, that I was using all of my self-help, all my reading, all my efforts to um, be spiritually formed through reading and taking in new content and ideas, that that was actually a form of, of me saying, I'm not good enough the way I am. I don't want to be with this guy. I want to read all this stuff so I can be a different guy, and then I'll be present to that guy. Um, and that what I needed to do is actually practice some of the things that I already knew would bring me into presence with myself uh, so that I could begin to learn how to accept this guy the way he is. Um, and, and then, you know, then we've got, I mean, once we've begun to accept ourselves, we discover, oh, half of what I thought I needed to change, I actually don't need to change. It's perfectly okay. I'm good enough. And this other half, I understand way better now because I've been able to sit with myself, be present to myself, learn about myself, 
Um, and it's not going to be as brutal to change as I thought. Like I have a lot of clarity now about how to change that thing. Um, so I think, I think it, you know, people say, how can accepting yourself lead to change? Um, well, number one, it makes you realize you don't need to change as much as you thought you did. <laughs> and number two, it gives you clarity and, and adds some simplicity to your understanding of how you do need to change. So, um, so yes, um, self-help as self-rejection. I think it is sort of a rampant, <laughs> um, syndrome in our culture and that we could begin to put a lot of it down. Summer writes, I often think of Jesus sitting in my mess, but I never think about me sitting there with him in acceptance. Mm. Summer, that is a, that image is just such a monumental reversal. Um, and I think the image reflects more closely the truth of what it's like to be with Jesus. Um, that we think, uh, I need him because I have this mess and he's, he's going to be gracious enough to sit in it with me. And instead he's, he's sitting there kind of looking at you, not at your mess and going, you're good enough. Um, despite all this, despite all this, you're good enough. Um, and so we are always sitting with Jesus in the midst of acceptance. Um, but we're so focused on the mess. We think he is too. I think it's a fundamental shift. Um, and it makes me so happy to hear you say that. Heather writes, pause in search of an upgrade. Yes, please. We don't have to make this process work. It should flow. Make the previous three weeks the new normal. Yeah, um, Heather, I originally had this week earlier in, in, the, um, in, in the year, uh, I think even in the first or second week, um, but uh, my wife was wise enough to point out that if you take away self-help <laughs> from people, there needs to, be, needs to be something to put in its place. And so you need to give that, that replacement first and then talk about beginning to ease up on all of the efforts to improve and, and help yourself and change yourself and fix yourself. So that's exactly it, Heather, is I hope that as we begin to be aware of the ways that we're engaging in self-help as a form of self-rejection and we decide we want to stop doing that, um, that we've got the practices already, some of them, to begin to return to um, and to fill that space with, that space that will be created by not doing and striving so much. So that's that's right on. Um, may we, what did you write? You wrote, make the previous three weeks the new normal. That's it. That's it. Deb writes, so great. So much of our lives we are trying to get to the next thing, the next goal, the next improvement. To put words to where we are now is so freeing. Yeah, I, I think as we, um, as we sort of have permission to be uninspired, as we shine the light of awareness on how all of our self-help is really a way to try to, to not be me anymore, um, I think we'll be aware of just how much time and energy we're spending trying to get to this place in the future. Um, which always moves a little further down the road, right? Um, because the person that we keep rejecting, I'm not okay, is always the person who shows up at the next place. And now we reject them again and, and try to get to the next spot. Um, it has to begin with settling into who we are now in this place. Um, so yes, let's, let's, uh, let's be freed, as you say, Deb, um, by putting words to where we are now. Corey writes, when we give ourselves the permission to be authentic, whether it be vulnerable or profound, it creates the space for others to do the same. That is inspiring. You got it, Corey. Um, I think to me, that's what's so, um, you know, I, I walk away 
from these conversations every week now for the last seven or eight months, um, inspired in that restful way because all of you are coming to these conversations and being so authentic as well. Um, this isn't just about me getting up here and being honest. Everybody's doing that. Uh, and so it's a, it's a blessing to me too, um, to get to be in a space where people are doing that. Um, and it does create, it gives all of us here permission to sort of be who we are, be honest, um, and, uh, and be inspired in that restful way. Deka writes, and I love that about you and your work. I'm tired of living in a world of never good enough and nothing is good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, man, the therapist, you know, a therapist's job is to put himself out of business. <laughs> I hope, <laughs> I hope I, you know, my, my deepest desire truly would be at some point to go, um, yeah, Dr. Kelly, that, that's good. I, th I think I've heard it. I think I've got it. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, and, uh, I would love that for you, Deka. I'd love that for all of us. Heather writes, when I think I need to change, I repeat to myself often, I am good enough just as I am. It's on a frequent repeat. Uh, Heather, I appreciate that too. Um, I, for me, and I, Heather, I really am grateful that you brought that up because it, it takes me back to that moment. I don't know, again, eight, nine years ago when I decided, well, I need to stop taking in so much content and just begin to be present to, I, to who I am. And what happened during that time was I realized I needed... I needed something like that. I needed a mantra. I needed something to anchor me, something to repeat to myself. Um, and it would shift over time because what I needed to, to be hearing uh, shifted over time. But I would always have one simple phrase that I'd be repeating over and over again. There's a long tradition of, um, of, of that kind of um, sort of, if you want to call it a meditation, um, uh, a, a long tradition of, of realizing that as you begin to repeat that kind of thought, um, it begins to descend from your head into your heart. It stops being a thought and it becomes um, your, your reality, your truth. Um, I, every night with my daughter, I, we, we say it over and over again. I say, are you beautiful on the outside? She says, yes. I say, where are you the most beautiful? And she said, on the inside. She says it every night. Uh, just recently, she had to do an assignment at school where she listed um, all the descriptions of the outside of her and all the descriptions of the inside of her. And for the description of the outside, she said pretty. And for the description of the inside, she said pretty. <laughs> and I loved it because it was, it was an example of how if we can begin to, to um, be faithful uh, to a particular thought or a particular way of seeing things and repeat it over and over, it can be, you know, descends from the head into the heart. And it seems like that's what's happening for her. Kevin writes, authenticity. If that ain't the gospel or even a life mantra, I can't. Uh... So Kevin, I think you're saying that authenticity is the gospel. <laughs> um, I think that's what you're saying. I think that when uh, the, the places in the gospel where you see Jesus sort of loses cool, <laughs> which he does several times, it's almost always in response to inauthenticity. Uh, when he calls the Pharisees hypocrites 19 times in, in one very short passage in the Bible, he's calling out their inauthenticity. He's saying, you're putting on a show for us. Uh, you're not showing us who you really are. And then over and over again, he is so enamored of the people who don't have a false self, the people who are just who they are in their brokenness. He calls them the, you know, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. He's enamored of children um, who have not had time yet to build a false self. Um, and so that does seem to be a core theme of the Gospels is authenticity. 
Um, it's what Jesus is attracted to, and it's an inauthenticity is what he confronts. Heather writes, your daughter is awesome. Y'all, thank you, Heather. She is awesome. Um, she's got the, the best little heart. It's, it amazes me all the time. Um, Deb writes, that's lovely about what you say to your daughter. I tell mine she's beautiful, but my favorite thing about her is her heart. Yep, yep, exactly. You're beautiful, but I love your heart. Um, yeah, the, people say, well, um, why, do you, why do you talk about both kinds of beauty? Well, I think it's important to, to um, be able to appreciate our physical beauty, but to know that there's a beauty inside of us that is uh, more enduring, um, timeless, and eternal, and, and our kids need to be reminded of that too. Susan writes, I have said mantras to myself for years now. I was taught that it takes 100 positives to, to negate that one negative. I had a lot of internal work to do. Love mantras. Susan, yeah, that's great. You know, I think in, in marital research, they say that it, it takes uh, five positive comments to offset one negative comment in terms of the impact upon your spouse. I've always thought the number was way higher than that. Um, I think most married couples would say the same. Um, and so yeah, 100 to one, I'll go with that too. Um, so repeating that, that encouragement to oneself, that message of self-acceptance to oneself a hundred times for every time you have that thought, um, that shame voice coming in telling you that you're not good enough. Um, that is a, that's a, that's a real practice. Ooh, Kevin writes, when he calls them hypocrites, when he turns over the tables, he is exhibiting zeal for the house. And I think that is what we're all doing here. Zeal for the house, which is our souls. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Um, I love the idea that shame has sort of entered into our souls and distorted its, um, the truth about what that space is meant for and what it's supposed to be, um, and that we are, in a sense, tipping over the tables and chasing it back out. Um, I love it. Now, Kevin, I, uh, I, maybe I should know this, but it, it sounds to me like you have a, um, a vocation as a pastor. Um, and again, maybe I should know that. I apologize if I've forgotten. Um, but you've, you've brought a distinctly spiritual presence to this week's, um, podcast episode. I really appreciate that. Um, it has been a, um, uh, it's made it a rich experience. Um, and I hope, I hope those of you who don't have the same Christian tradition or the same language to use, um, uh, can sort of, um, benefit from and tap into the truths that are communicated in some of these stories that we, we've been talking about. Um, in a way that is, is, is useful for you. So um, thank you, Kevin, and thanks for everyone who is, is listening in and, uh, um, and able to receive that, that truth. Good stuff. So I think it's time to get into the week four practice. Uh, I'll read that, and then we can discuss it a little bit more, and then we'll wrap up for today. Uh, here it is. Week four practice. As we approach the end of this first month of listening, it is quite possible you are frustrated. You might have a little voice in your head chirping up, asking how breathing and rest are going to make you better, asking how not doing anything is going to accomplish something. You might even be feeling a little panicked. How, you might be wondering, am I going to change without changing anything at all? If so, it's quite possible your efforts to change are a subtle form of self-rejection. This week, take an inventory of the ways you engage in self-help. What is the experience of yourself or your life that you are trying to get help with? In what ways are you trying to escape it through self-improvement? How, instead, could you embrace it? For one week, discontinue all other forms of self-improvement. All books, blogs, seminars, webinars, programs, courses. Don't minimize or ignore your struggles during this time. Embrace them. Instead of engaging in self-improvement, engage in self-acceptance. Choose one word or phrase that helps you do so. For me, that word is lovable. 
What is your word? When you start to feel the urge to improve, say your word until you discover a potent secret. Self-acceptance is the foundation of all self-improvement. So that is this week's practice, and many of you anticipated where we were heading with it. Um, I had actually forgotten <laughs> there was the encouragement of the use of a word or a mantra. Um, and so many of you anticipated that already, which I love. Um, it, it, it sort of validates, I think, the, um, the instinct about where to head with this week's practice. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, now, a couple of things really quickly. If you are receiving help from a professional... Um, don't discontinue that without that professional's consent. <laughs> um, I imagine, I can imagine like next week if uh, half my caseload came in and said, so I've been following this blogger and he says I just need to quit therapy. <laughs> I'd be like, who is this guy? And uh, how do I get my hands on him? Um, so continue to do the work that you're doing with professionals, whether it's um, with a psychiatrist uh, and medication that is, is being used to help you, uh, whether it's with a therapist who you're talking to, uh, who is working with you to help you. Um, continue continue the treatment plan you're on. Um, perhaps bring the, these ideas into that treatment uh, if they're uh, compelling to you and, and use them as, as part of the, the content of what you're discussing. Um, but continue, continue to do what you're doing with professionals. Um, I'm talking more about all of the other things that we're inundated with right now, right? There's a whole industry around it. And how can we begin to eliminate, in the, in the same way that we sort of unsubscribe from marketing emails last week, how can we sort of unsubscribe or press pause on all of the things that we're doing uh, to try to change who we are, to fix who we are? Um, now, I realize, and I, I've already sort of alluded to this a little bit, because so, the question in my head, at least as I put myself in your shoes, is, are you being sort of a hypocrite? <laughs> because you're, you write self-help books, and this podcast is sort of a self-help podcast. In fact, I think that's the category on iTunes. Um, and, my, and as I thought about that in relation to this, my, my reaction is, um, if, if you enter this week and you discover that disconnecting yourself from the flood of self-help um, activities that are, are coming your way, if that's helpful to you, and you need to do that for a week, a month, six months, a year, yes, don't, don't tune in next week. Do what you need to do to take care of yourself, um, to begin to accept yourself. And if this be, is feeling like part of that, we'll be here when you want to come back. <laughs> you know, this is going to be on iTunes for as long as I can imagine. Um, it'll be waiting for you. Do what you need to do to begin to settle into yourself and to embrace who you are. Um, I think going forward, um, the, the practices, the exercises, the readings, and the discussions are going to help you do that. Um, but if for you, you need to disconnect completely, um, absolutely. Go for it. Kevin writes, amen and amen, doing so with the respect of all traditions. So again, um, connecting back to this idea that um, we, can, we can, from very many traditions, come together and share the wisdom of our traditions. And, and of course, we have to talk in the language of our traditions. It's the language we know. Um, but we can respect each other's traditions and and uh, and benefit from the wisdom that that each is adding. So, Kevin, thank you for that. Cheryl writes, "What about continuing with my daily yoga practice?" Absolutely, um, absolutely. Any um, any, for instance, the breathing practice, the resting practices we've talked about, um, the decluttering practices, um, anything that you're doing that helps you be centered in you and take that inward journey 
rather than trying to escape yourself or taking an outward journey, whatever those practices might be. Um, go ahead and continue to practice them. Um, Cheryl, if that's what that practice does for you, um, don't you dare give it up. <laughs> Deb writes, great advice. I read Daring Greatly last year and then Lovable, and honestly, they were the last uh, I personally needed to read. Oh, Deb, wow, that's I am honored to hear you say that. Um, I just started to read Brene Brown's new book, Braving the Wilderness, and there is a bunch of fantastic stuff in there. I've actually thought about it a couple times today as I've thought about us having a, a discussion at times that use the language of my faith, um, but in a way that that um, invites other people in, um, because it's so much of what she talks about in Braving the Wilderness is being able to have a voice without shutting down everybody else's voices, um, being able to belong by knowing you belong to yourself, and then... Um, and then creating spaces of belonging for other people. So, um, yeah, so she's she's fantastic. It's a great book. Um, as just as I've told you to to put down self help books, maybe pick that up in two weeks. Um, but it's it's a good one. Heather writes definitely going to take a break from reading the self help books. Stick to my mantra. Heather, I'm I I'm eager to hear, and it may it may be frustrating for you. I I don't know, but I am eager to hear after a week of sticking to your mantra, rather than taking in new words. I'm really eager to hear what that week is like for you. So uh, I look forward to seeing you next week. And um, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to put pressure on you by saying that. I just, I'm, I'm eager to hear how it goes. Marge writes, so I have put your keys into statement for myself. When I breathe alive self-acceptance into the moment, the authentic me is inspired and present to be who I am. Absolutely. Breathing alive into the present moment. Elizabeth writes, it's funny. My brain is saying, but I do need to get better. This doesn't apply to me. Just amusing to see how much I do need to do this. You know, Elizabeth, I really appreciate you saying that because I think the initial reaction to the idea is often resistance, even anger. Like you're trying to take away uh, my way forward. Um, you're, you know, uh, you don't have my best interests at heart. And, uh, and I do think sometimes if we can sort of stay present to that reaction, rather than rejecting the encouragement to settle into who we are, we begin to get past it. And we begin, I do think that's sort of the, the feeling on the other side of that is weariness. Like, oh, I actually can give it up. I can settle into this. Um, so thank you for noticing that reaction, uh, voicing it. And, and let's see this week if you can sort of persist through that and begin to give yourself a little bit of, of permission to, to, uh, to, not, to not get better, um, but to just be you. Okay, so we'll wrap up here for today. Uh, may you spend this week not trying to fix yourself, but settling into yourself, perhaps even embracing yourself. And may you begin to experience the rest and the hope that comes with that. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. <laughs>